I think, like, I feel like life is just absolutely beautiful. And we will go through so many things that we'll go through so many ringers, we'll go through many roller coasters, ups and downs and injuries. I mean, I lost my dad, I had four miscarriages, I went through a divorce, like, I, there were so many things that have happened to me. But I still look at life. And I think, how beautiful is this? Like, yes, do I live in Costa Rica? And I live very minimalistly. And I my my, my my TV set is my sunsets at night, you know? So I look at living a better life because I choose to do that. Hi, I'm Dr. Morgan Nolte, founder of Zivli. As a geriatric physical therapist, I saw the heartbreaking effects of insulin resistance. At Zivli, our mission is to help you prevent and reverse insulin resistance for long-term weight loss and disease prevention through a low insulin and inflammation lifestyle. Each week on this podcast, you'll learn simple, actionable tips to lose weight, keep it off, and get healthy. If you're ready to create a body and life you love, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Reshape Your Health podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Morgan Nolte, and today I'm really excited. We have a really fun guest. Her name is Jen Rulon, and this is a little bit of a different topic, a little bit of a different interview, and I think that you're going to find her just a breath of fresh air. I think that she's going to bring a really honest conversation about finding your self-motivation, especially for fitness. And her personal story is pretty cool. So she's been a triathlon and fitness coach for over 20 years. She received her master's degree in kinesiology with an emphasis in exercise science. She's been featured in numerous publications and commitments. She's done commencement speeches and she's been on the TEDx stage. She's the author of Self-Motivation Strategies for Women, How to Achieve Your Goals and Transform Every Aspect of Your Life. And she definitely practices what she preaches. She's been a 15 times Ironman triathlete who qualified and participated in the world championship in Kona, Hawaii in 2017. And she's retired from triathlons, but she still coaches athletes all around the world and lives what she calls a life of joyful fitness in Costa Rica. So pretty much living her dream life. You would never guess her age. I'm going to like let people sit on that one for just a second, Jennifer, in case they're watching. (laughs) We're going to leave that as a hook for people to guess how old you are. Um, Welcome to the show. I'm really excited for this conversation today. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's, uh, it's, I signed up a while back and I was really looking forward to our conversation. So me too. Okay. So I want to just hear, I want to give you my, my impression of an Ironman triathlete. The only one that I know, um, his name is Mike Seedsma and he was our neighbor for two years. If you're, if you're close to me, you know, I talk about the Seedsma family a lot and he's a commanding officer on a nuclear submarine. Okay. Like, big deal in the Navy and his family's awesome. And while he was living for two years in Nebraska, he was training for an Ironman. And that man was a beast. Like he would be in the snow running. He'd go swimming at base. He'd be biking all over the place on these hills in Nebraska, just almost putting himself through what some people would call torture to do one Ironman. And you've done that 15 times. Yeah. So to sustain that level of training 
and time commitment and sustained motivation. Like I got to know where that comes from. So where does your love of triathlons come from and your love of fitness come from? Yeah. Uh, I, I think, I think the love of fitness has always been there. The ironic thing about this all, and I talk about this in my own podcast, uh, the everyday healthy human is that I absolutely hated running growing up. I, I was the the group sport girl. Like I, I played softball. I was a cheerleader. I was volleyball, but I never ran track. So, which is sort of ironic that I'm a 15 time Ironman triathlete, but, um, so I always had fitness. I always had sports inside me, right? I loved throwing the football. Like I could throw a spiral with my brother and my dad. And that was a big conversation that I talk about in my TEDx uh, talk as well. But I think the biggest aha moment for me when it came to accomplishing the Ironman triathlon was when uh, it was in 1989, I was watching the Ironman. Oh, that might show my age, right? Uh, it was, I was Don't watching. Don't tell them yet. We're going to keep Don't them guessing. Okay. <laughs> I was, uh, it was 1989. I was watching the Ironman or I was watching the ABC Wide World of Sports and it was the Ironman triathlon. And it was a, and if you don't know what an Ironman is, it's a 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike and a 26.2 marathon run. And these guys were like in the same day, guys. Right, right. Yes. And you have to finish within under 17 hours like that. There's a cutoff like you have to be done in 17 hours. So I was watching Dave Scott, Mark Allen doing the showdown, right? These guys crossed the finish line around eight hours. Mark won that day. And then an hour later, Paula Newby Frazier crosses the finish line and she, the first woman. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I thought, huh, she could do it. I could do it. Right. And I, and I can't tell you how old I was when that, um, when I saw that, because I go to my grandpa and my mom, so my mom's dad, and he, he was a Lieutenant Colonel in the army, had a purple heart, like just more of a father figure than my dad was because I put him on that pedal still. Right. And I said to him, I go, grandpa, when I'm 30, I'm going to do the Ironman world championship in Hawaii. And he's like, okay, when you go, I'll go with you. I'll be one of your sponsors. And that truly like put uh, uh, a a notch in my head that I'm like, I'm going to do grandpa and I are going to go to the world championship together. We're going to make this happen. He's going to go cheer me on. And I said I was going to do it by the time I was 30. Well, I was, I guess I was, um, I was six weeks before my 31st birthday and I did Ironman Wisconsin and uh, uh, in 2002, but uh, in 2002, and I realized that like I Yes, I did an Ironman, but I didn't do that Ironman. Mm-hmm. Yep, so you you didn't do the world championship that you wanted to, right? Correct, correct. Yes. You didn't do it yet. I didn't do it yet. But going back in May of 2001, I was training for the world championship duathlon in the Netherlands. And I was out on a ride and... um 
the day before I found out my grandpa passed. Mm-hmm. And I get emotional every time I tell the story. And I cried like a baby on my own podcast. And uh, I remember I was out riding my bike, getting ready for the for the uh, the duathlon. And I just started crying, started crying on my bike. I'm like, what am I doing out here? This makes no sense. I just lost my grandpa, the grandpa that has inspired me to become an athlete in a different level. I'm not that football player or that basketball player. He inspired me to become an athlete that I called my own. And I just started crying and I thought, grandpa's not here. He's not here. Why am I even doing this? And I literally crest a hill. Uh, I was on uh, on Highway 211 in San Antonio. I crest this hill and all of a sudden swarms of yellow butterflies just started flying around me. And I thought, oh, and I took it all in and I thought, grandpa is here. Mm-hmm. Grandpa is here. And he reminded me like, no, Jen, I'm still going to support you and sponsor you and cheer you on on this journey so you kept going so but I kept more times I did I did and because I didn't get to Kona I didn't get to Kona in uh, so my whole life I would see butterflies to this day I still see butterflies I see them in some of my most beautiful places in my world. And I've seen them in some of my darkest times. I've seen those butterflies just following me around and really teaching me to do my own metamorphosis, whether that's, you know, through moving to Costa Rica, whether that's uh, retiring from the sport of triathlon. And I remember when I got to Kona and I... Uh, I'm I'm telling this very long story, like in a very short amount of time, you could get more details of it on my, my podcast. But um, I remember going down a road and I can never remember the road to turn right on Alihi Drive. And Alihi Drive is where the finish line is to the Ironman at the Ironman World Championship. And I see my mom and her best friend and her and I made eye contact. And right then and there, we knew that grandpa was with us. And I turned on that red carpet and I, I slowed down because I didn't want to lose my moment with grandpa. I wanted to just soak it all in. And I... I looked up in the sky and I said, grandpa, we did it. And the photographers got me all along the red carpet, bawling my eyes out. I could not, because I didn't, I almost didn't want the, the journey to end because I didn't want to forget about grandpa. Mm -hmm. And then when I crossed the finish line and I hear my friend and announcer, Mike Riley say, Jen Rulon. You are an Ironman. I raised my hand, smiled, and, you know, I had tears in the eyes, but I was so happy because, and I looked up and I said, Grandpa, we did it. We did it. Yeah. 
So that was, that was a big why for me. And that, that helped drastically. Um, to sustain that motivation over all of those, you know, hours and hours to do it with grandpa. What was your other big why? Because you mentioned offline that you had two. I did. And my second why was actually, um, probably one of the best therapies ever that I wrote my TEDx talk. And the second why was I never had a really strong bond with my dad through and I saw the bond that my brother had with my dad because it was all about football, the Detroit Lions, the De- Detroit Tigers, the Michigan Wolverines. Like it was all about group sports. And so my brother, and my dad had this beautiful, tangible bond that connected them. And I felt like I was over there. I'm like, well, hey, I play softball or I'm a cheerleader. And my dad, I felt like my dad really didn't understand or didn't resonate with with me when it came to that type of sports, right? Because I I wasn't a football girl. I wasn't a basketball girl. But I thought to myself, huh, maybe dad will notice me now if I do this Ironman, right? Because it's very way outside his spectrum, way outside my brother's spectrum, way outside the group sports spectrum, I thought, well, now he'll notice me, right? And it made me realize though, and I talk about this in the TEDx talk, is that when I crossed the finish line to my first Ironman, I realized I didn't need his validation anymore because I truly validated myself as an athlete. I never considered myself as an athlete growing up. I mean, I'd play softball, I did all that stuff, but Never, you know, I wasn't that athlete, but in my head, in a little girl's head, I wasn't an athlete because I didn't play football, basketball, baseball, or hockey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So is that kind of that insight that you got, but how does that translate into being a why? Like how, how would you explain to someone your dad being part of your why? Is it, fi- is it you finding that own self-validation or like, how would you describe that? Yeah, I th- that's a good question. I think it's me finding my own self validation is really, you know, here I had grandpa as a why, as an inspiration, but I also had my dad as an inspiration and a why because he pushed, like, I feel like my dad almost pushed me to get out of the get comfortable being uncomfortable type of thing because. Here, I thought I was supposed to be in a little box of a daughter of, you know, doing group sports. But then I realized, well, I don't do group sports. I like the individual sports. So it's like, and I still remember training for a race. And I remember going to visit my dad and I stayed with him. And I was like, hey, I'm going to go for an hour and a half run. And he's like, what? I said, yeah, yeah. And so, and he, so it. And it's interesting because my dad is no longer around, but I remember him standing in the garage, waving goodbye as I go to leave for my run. And at that time, I don't think I had a phone or if I did it, it, you know, I didn't really carry it with me. I just would stop at Barnes and Noble or a gas station if I needed him. Right. And then I remember coming back and I swear he was in that same position. And he was like, where have you been? I go, dad, I told you I was going to be running for an hour and a half. And he's like, but it's an hour and 40. You know, I go, well, I had to stop and get water. 
I go, have you been standing here the whole time? He's like, no, but I kept looking at my clock. Like, where's my daughter? Where's my daughter? You know? And I think it just made him realize that, oh, she, she is an athlete. And like I said, I didn't, I didn't think about that later on in life. I just, I just, yeah. That's interesting. So I'm sure that there's people listening who are asking a couple questions is basic. Like what the heck did you eat when you were doing all of this training? <laughs> right. Yeah. How much, uh, did you eat? like how much pros, like how many carbs are you eating? I'm guessing I'm, I'm just curious on an athlete's nutrition. Yeah. I, you know, I was the type of person, especially later on in my career, um, in the beginning of my career, I just, I would eat whatever I wanted to, right? I would go after a six hour bike ride, I would go get a huge thing of pizza or I'd go, you know, grab, um, go to five guys and grab some burgers and fries and all that fun stuff. But I started at the end of my career because as I was aging, right, you know, things weren't, you know, things didn't taste as good or anything like that. But um, I did a pretty good job of really, eating clean, trying to eat what I could. Like I didn't, I didn't do a lot of pasta. I didn't do a lot of breads. I did a lot of white rice. I did a lot of fruits. I did a lot of vegetables, but I did a lot of quinoa, you know, like little things like that. I didn't do a lot of pasta people like, Oh, you got to eat pasta. You got to eat pasta, but it just pasta never sat well for me. I never enjoyed that. And then my protein, like chicken, uh, ground turkey, ground chicken, chicken, beef, you know, pretty basic, pretty basic stuff. Avocado. Oh my God. Peanut butter was like, would not stay in our house for ages, you know, like for three days, the peanut butter was gone, you know, things like that, you know, almond butter, same thing. Like whatever you want, because you're burning so much of it off. You just have to reach that muscle glycogen carbs and okay. Bingo. You got it. Okay. And the second question, which you wrote a whole book on, and I think that it's easy to say, oh yeah, I wrote a book, but it's, it's like, it's a whole deal. First of all, I mean, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of self-reflection. Um, I've written a book in the sense of my course, like we've added up how much content is in there and it's, it's a book and it took me a long time and many iterations to write what, compelled you? Because I think there has to be a fire in your gut to sit down and write that many words about one topic. So what compelled you to write it about self-motivation? Well, it was ironic because uh, I had a publisher come to me Hmm. and this was in 2020. And it was, I was going through one of the darkest and hardest times of my life. My, my ex-husband and I, uh, we were going through therapy and it's really sometimes hard for me to talk about that. I wrote this book during one of the hardest times, but honestly, I think the book was written for me. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't really realize that until I stepped away from it. Right. Um, but it was, uh, I wasn't coaching triathletes. I was trying to start a woman's, uh, program, uh, like a woman's like motivation program type of thing. And the publisher reached out to me and they've reached out to me before about like, Hey, what are you doing? And at one point I 
they wanted me to write a triathlon book. And I said, I don't have time, y'all. I, I don't have time. I don't have the bandwidth. I can't do it. They came back to me in 2020 and said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm starting a woman's self-motivation program, blah, blah, blah. And they were like, oh my God, this is perfect. Can you write a book for us with, about self-motivation? And I, and I told my editor, I go, can I be transparent? She said, yes. I said, I am going through one of the hardest times of my personal life with my, my husband at the time. And I am, I feel like I am living imposter syndrome right now. And she's like, Jen, you're writing the book for you right now. She goes, only think of it that way. I said, all right. Mm-hmm. So that's how it came about. The publisher approached you, asked you to write a yeah. book on self-motivation because that was your interest. But why is yeah. that business for you? Like what, what is that fire in you to, to educate people on becoming more self-motivated? Because we know that our country is unhealthy. We know that instant gratification is a problem. We know that people yeah. are eating too much unhealthy food. They're watching too much TV. They're not getting enough sleep. They're drinking too much alcohol. And they're in this rhythm of life that's not supportive of optimal health. And so when I think mm-hmm. of self-motivation, because this is my work and my passion, it goes right to the health realm. But I think it's really important to recognize like this is not just applicable to health. You need self-motivation in every aspect of your life. You need it for mm-hmm. your career. You need it if you're a parent, you need it if you're a spouse, you need it yeah. to, for everything. Like, why are you so passionate about self-motivation? I think I've always been passionate about goal setting or like that type of aspects of things. So my goals motivate me to become a better version of myself. Mm-hmm. And I realized that there's so much potential in everybody. And a lot of people don't tap into their potential to be the, become the best version they can be. I sit there and I think we have one life to live. We can. I actually just did an interview with a friend of mine and he brought up uh, Shawshank Redemption and he goes, you could, you could, what, what was the quote? You could, you could live. Don't ask me about movie quotes because oh my God, it's- I don't know. I have like this friend, Sean is his name and he'll quote movies all the time. I know, and I right? come over and over. I don't get movie quotes. I don't remember movies. I don't <laughs> Like, dude, stop quoting movies to me because I don't, I don't remember. So I'm yeah. not going to ask okay. that movie, but I don't know any movie quotes. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, it was, uh, so he goes, get busy, get busy living or get busy dying. Yes. I was like, oh my God, you're right. Which is one of my favorite movies. But I think like, I feel like life is just absolutely beautiful and we will go through so many things that we'll go through so many ringers. We'll go through many roller coasters, ups and downs and injuries. I mean, I lost my dad. I had four miscarriages. I went through a divorce. Like I, there were so many things that have happened to me, but I still look at life and I think, how beautiful is this? Like, yes. Do I live in Costa Rica? And I live very minimalistly. And I, my, 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 my TV set is my sunsets at night. 
you know, so I look at living a better life because I choose to do that. And I I just sort of wanted to share that motivation piece to others. Like, you know, we t- and in, in the book, I talked about the fitness. I talked about the emotional. I talked about the personal relationships, which is ironic because I had to rewrite a lot of that uh, chapter. Interesting. Right. Yeah. And my editor was like, Jen, this is, this is a little too uh, robotic. And I'm like, because I don't know, you know, I'm going through my own stuff right now. Like I can't, you know, but it, it taught me like, okay, respond, react, you know, that type of thing. So I started recognizing um, just a lot of things. It talks about community. It talks about like the volunteer and just the spiritual, whether, you know, the higher power, God, whatever your beliefs are. Um, because I was tapping into all of those elements in 2020 to become a better version of myself. And at that time, I, my last drop of alcohol was December 7th in 2019. And why, I think that this is an interesting thing because it kind of keeps coming up, um, in the podcast in my life, like alcohol kind of keeps coming up full, full background. I've never been a big drinker. Um, in college, I would like sit on the curb and like, wait to drive people home. Cause I'm like, no, I'm not a party person. Yeah. Um, so it was never a big part of my life. It wasn't a big deal. And I had this guy on the podcast talking about why he stopped drinking altogether. And that was very motivating to me because it's like, why am I doing this? I don't really, I want to relax, but I don't want the, I, I don't want the calories. I don't want the negative sleep right. effects. Um, I don't want to use it as an emotional crutch. I don't want to, mm-hmm. I just don't really want it. So why am I having it? Once right. I start, like critically assess my relationship with alcohol, I realized it was purely social and it was mm-hmm. because I didn't want people to, I don't know. I just didn't want to deal with like the social pressure of saying no, I guess. Right. Who my husband, like who, I don't care if he's. I don't care if he, I, whatever, you know, we've been married for almost 10 years now. It's not that big yeah. of a deal. It's like a choice that I make about not drinking and he doesn't care. He doesn't drink much anyways, but it's like when you really pause and reflect on why you do what you do, mm-hmm. it's almost like you're just standing on a cloud and like, there's no real substance behind why you do what you do. It's just because mm-hmm. subconsciously you don't want to be rejected or you don't want to be criticized right. or you don't want to be out. And I'm developing and not being afraid of those things anymore. Yeah. You know, so for me, when you mentioned that, I thought, oh, interesting. I wonder what her relationship with alcohol was and what was your impetus to stop drinking? And then what did that, like, what changed for you? Because yeah. what, what that guy said on the podcast, it really affected me was he's like, I felt like I was living my life at like 80% or whatever yes. he said. And he's like, I have 20% left in me that I'm suppressing because I'm drinking. So if I stop drinking, what potential is unleashed? And Mm -hmm. that really hit home for me. So what was it for you that caused you to reassess that relationship with alcohol? I wasn't liking who I was becoming. I didn't like, yeah, I didn't like how I was responding or reacting to my ex to while I was drinking to my family and friends. I, I, I've always been a very happy, fun, loving person. 
I, I love life. I'll dance in the kitchen with or without alcohol or I'll shoot. I'll dance when I'm cleaning. Right. And I started recognizing that I wasn't enjoying, I wasn't living with joy anymore. I, I, and it's sort of what we talked a little bit about before is that I felt like one, it became a habit, right? Cause it was a couple glasses of wine. You got, you got the first glass of wine before dinner, you know, just while you're making dinner. And then you got the second glass of wine while you're drinking dinner. It's like, Oh, well, let's open up another bottle because it's the weekend. And, you know, it just, it, it got to a routine and a habit. And the crazy thing was, is that here I was still doing races and I was drinking, you know, but my last, my last race, I actually quit for six weeks prior to my last race. And I had the best race of my life. Right. That unleashed potential. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So I, I, I think what I recognize is that I wasn't like, like I said, I wasn't liking who I was becoming, but I also thought, and I also realized that I wasn't, I was masking who I could be. Hmm. Want to walk us through that one a little bit, because I think some people Hmm. maybe who have been tuning out or driving, or maybe they're on a walk. I'm masking what I could be. And I think a lot of people are going through life doing that. I've done that. Mm-hmm. And um, I think a lot of it comes down to fear for me. Whenever I find myself numbing or masking, it's a fear of something. So what 100%. Would- it was the fear that I wasn't happy in my marriage. Yeah. And I think this is the first time I've ever admitted this in a, in a, in a, in a, on a platform. Um, and I couldn't explain or elaborate or understand why, like he, he didn't do anything wrong. He was an amazing, he's a, he still is an amazing human being and I will always love him always, but I couldn't understand why am I not happy? I realized that I can be, I have to, I have to be. I have to make myself happy. Like that's me. But then I didn't want to be the person, you know, 30 years down the road, sitting on the couch, drinking alcohol, going blind and thinking, well, why didn't I ever travel to Costa Rica? Why didn't I ever travel to um, Spain or wherever? Like, and I'm not saying that we didn't travel. It, It just, it got to a point where I'm like, I just wasn't, I saw a pattern with my family. My, my dad was an alcoholic. My grandpa was an alcoholic. My great grandmother was an alcoholic. So all on the line of my, on my dad's side, my, um, my uncle quit drinking. So my dad's brother, my brother quit drinking a year prior to me drinking. And I started seeing the things that he was, that was happening for him. And I thought, wow, like, that's pretty impressive. Like, what if I start, what if I stop drinking? What's going to happen? Like, what, what potential can I do? And can I, can I be? And so I got a lot of clarity. I got a lot of clarity. And I took the mask off. And the mask was alcohol. And I had to face some of my darkest times of going through therapy as an individual and as a couple and then asking for a divorce 
Mm -hmm. So how did you go about navigating, you know, writing about self-motivation, going through it when you needed it the most? Like what were some of the biggest things that you told yourself to get you through those hard seasons or those hard moments? Mm. To stay present, to stay in the now, to not worry about the future, not worry about the past. Like when I wrote, I would get up at five o'clock in the morning, turn the coffee on, grab the cup and just sit and put, put my beats on and just type, right? I had to stay present. I had a, I didn't have, I didn't need any uh, outside noise going at the time and nobody was up at that hour anymore. Right. Or that, you know, and that was in 2020, right. People were sleeping in, they were going to work and throwing a shirt on and, you know, walking upstairs type of thing. Right. Uh, So I think just staying present was one thing really asking for guidance through my higher power, uh, whatever your beliefs are, God, universe, spiritual, like, really digging deep and just talking, talking to God and just saying, God, I need your help. I need your guidance today. Can you just get me through this one chapter? Can you get me through the situation that happened? Can you, you know, and then a number three fitness, I had to like, I had to do movement every single day while I was writing that book, whether that was me going to my workouts in San Antonio at soul fit, whether that's me, me going for a walk, um, because, or going for a run, I was still running at that time, but yeah, just really, and having a community. So I think really four things. Yeah, that's awesome. So have you, why did you decide to continue to remain like abstinent from alcohol? I love, hmm. I think, I think the first year was more of a challenge, like, yeah, I'm going to go a year without alcohol. Right. And then I got to year and a half. I'm like, I don't need it. Mm-hmm. I, it, it doesn't taste that. I, I don't even know if it tastes good anymore. Right. I, I just don't need it. And I realized for me that I love my life. I love my life without alcohol. Like my life right now brings me so much joy, so much joy. And yeah, I'm living in Costa Rica, like two minutes from the beach. I went, went surfing this morning. Like how great is that? Right. But I'm, I'm also back to back from eight 30 to seven o'clock tonight doing podcast interviews and, you know, chatting with my team, my triathlon team that I coach, like, I'm still working. I'm still doing things, but I'm living authentically. I'm living with truth. I'm living with, with joy and happiness. And I think like, even when we were talking earlier about, um, about, you know, my introduction, like I told you, I'm like, it's very robotic. And I think now if somebody was like, well, who are, who's Jen Rulon? And I'm like, I'm, I'm a girl just trying to find happiness living in Costa Rica, chasing sunsets on my bike and finding, you know, blue morpho butterflies. And I mean, trying to find happiness. Mm-hmm. Well, what about have people, proof. like, what yeah. about the people who have ties, you know, like, right. Well, that sounds I great, know. Ben, 
but like, I'm just going to give you my life for example, but my, but we're farmers in the middle of Nebraska and you can't move land. And we have two kids in no. and we're not going to pick them up and move because our grandparents, no. are, we, but here's the thing. We love our life here. Like, of course, so, 100%. So much so. but I wrote down the word present because I think that's one of the keys to joyful living that a lot of people take for granted um, is just that presence of mind. And what it, I was even thinking about from an endurance athlete standpoint, what, how do you train your athletes? Because I would assume that a lot of it is mental and not thinking about five miles from now or 10 miles from now, you're just thinking about the next step because mm-hmm. The way I describe it as fear is you're placing your attention on an undesired outcome. So fear or worries, you're just placing your attention on an undesired outcome. Whereas faith is you're placing your attention and energy on a desired outcome. So it's very similar, right? And then if we're worrying or we're maybe not worrying, but like if we're guilty or we're feeling, feeling shameful or we're second guessing ourselves, then our attention is on the past. Right. About that. So we're losing our personal power when we're not in the present. Do you coach Mm -hmm. your athletes on mindset things to, to improve their endurance at all? I'm curious, or did you, did you do some of that for yourself or just how do you not Mm. get bored when you're running for a long and trying to know, you know, it's interesting because I, a lot of the athletes that I have now are very much like me. They're very self-motivated. A lot of the, the people that I work with are entrepreneurs, doctors, nurses, people going to people going to school for, for being a doctor, like busy moms. Like they, they're, they're the type of person that is very self-motivated and they know they know they're going to have good days on on running. They know they're going to have bad days biking. They know that they're going to have terrible days swimming. Like, like it's, they all know that, but they all know that those are the lessons that they learn for the next round for that next swim. So, you know, prime example is, is Jeff, who's an anesthesiologist. He's got two kids married he's got, he's on call and he will put in his workouts like, Hey, I have call. I have call at these, at these, during these weeks. And I know not to give him a swim because he can't get a swim in. But then I also know that if he is on call and I give him a workout, he's like, Hey, I'm going to have to get up at four o'clock in the morning to be running by four thirty to get this done. And I was like, or you can move it. He goes, no, this is going to work better in my schedule. Like my athletes that I coach have that mindset athlete but i've also realized in my coaching not everybody has the mindset like me and that has been super challenging for me as a coach because i do try to figure out well okay they don't have the mindset like me how can i help them so i go back to the basics why do you want to do this ironman what is your purpose what do you want just to check in the box? Because getting up at four o'clock in the morning is going to be really hard if it's just a check in the box, right? And it, it it can be very challenging. And I think 
I don't expect, I don't expect everybody to do an Ironman. I don't coach just Ironman triathletes. I coach cyclists and runners as well. And, um, but going back to finding that why is crucial. That's where we start with all of our clients is your why. Perfect. Um, and I like to say, keep your eye on your why. Like I used to have a sign all the time. Um, but for me personally, that's one of the biggest challenges for endurance sports. I've done five or six half marathons in my life. Loved it. Have not done since I haven't done a race longer than like a 5k since I had kids and my youngest is three. And that's something that I think I might like to get back into. But one of my biggest challenges with endurance is getting bored and what did you do? I mean, do you just listen to the hours of music? Do you listen to nothing? Do you listen to podcasts, books? How do you not get bored when you're training? Uh, stay present. present. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have to stay in the now because this, I, I was just telling a girlfriend about this today. I loved, loved stepping away and jumping in the pool for an hour because I didn't have this. Mm-hmm. I loved being on my bike for six hours because I didn't have this. Mm-hmm. I mean, I did for emergencies, right? But I wasn't sitting there like on my bike, like texting people because I was outside watching the the road and making sure I didn't get hit by a car, right? Yeah. And then same with the run. I never took my phone running and people thought I was insane. I was like, if it... I, I know my route and my ex-husband knew my route very well that if I didn't come back, like they would know where to find me, you know, like it was just a, and so I just, for me, it was, it was like, I loved that next mile, that next mile, that next mile, because I love to see what I could do and what I can accomplish. Like there was times on the bikes where I would be at 97 miles. I'm like, oh man, I got to get three more miles. So I can get that hundred mile mark, you know? Yeah. But it was, for me, it was just being present and stepping away from the phone and work. Mm -hmm. I was watching, um, my husband and I were watching a documentary called um, Quarterback on Netflix. And it was interesting. It followed uh, Patrick Mahomes and Kirk. And another quarterback that I'm forgetting his name. Um, I don't remember, but Kirk Cousins, it was interesting to to see what he did for his mindset work. So he actually had like a phone app and it was, he, he had his headphones in. It was almost like he was watching a show and then it would dim out pretty frequently. And every time it would dim out, it was almost like a cue for him to focus. And so it was just a mindfulness practice to continually refocus on what you're doing and not let those thoughts, thoughts like drift in and out. Did you have anything, because the only thing that I, that works for me when I'm running is reconnecting with my breath and then finding something very specific to look at and show gratitude for Like, I'm so grateful that I live in this beautiful location and that the grass is just beautiful this time of year, or I'm so grateful that the water is clear, or I'm so Mm -hmm. grateful that I can run like connecting to my physical body and showing gratitude for for how good it feels to be able to move like that really works for me, but I got to do it all the time. Like otherwise my brain is a little pinball machine. It goes, um, so what, what works for you to stay present and mindful during those endurance things? Butterflies. Well, you just see them all the time then. (laughs) I I would see them a lot. I really would because I would look for them. Right. 
Cause there would be times where I'm like just chugging along and I'm looking down and I'm running and I'm like, Oh my gosh. And I would look at my watch and I would do this. And I, you know, I'd just be like, Oh, like, Oh, where's my next water stop. And then I would just, I would look up and be like, okay, take a deep breath in. You're almost home. Right. And then all of a sudden it would be like, be like flutter. Yeah. And so butterflies played a huge role, but yeah, I think it, you know, I always talk about this too, with my athletes, like you're going to have a little angel on your shoulder. You're going to have a little devil on your shoulder and the angel's going to be like, Oh my God, you're a rock star. You're going to do awesome at this race. And then you got that little devil going like, what are you doing? You're super slow. You're never going to make it whatever. And so if you start having those little, little fights in your own head, you got to figure out how do I get rid of that person? How do I get rid of that negativity? Sometimes that negativity can help motivate you, right? Be like, oh yeah, I'll prove it to you. I'll show you. But if you push them aside and listen and have a couple good thoughts going through your head, like, and it's just, you know, for me, I mean, it could be any, it could be anything in life. Like, no, you are a good student. No, you are a good mom. You know, you're going to have moments, you're going to have bad miles, you're going to have bad hours, you're going to have, you know, I think so many people stay in that, they stay stuck in that one story that they're dealing with, like if they got in a fight with their daughter or whatever, a mom got in a fight with a daughter, like the mom sitting there stewing over it, stewing over, stewing over, it's like, no, just don't, don't worry about it. You're a good mom. You're being a mom. That's what it's all about, you know, like don't sit there and start making up stories in your head about what you did right and what you did wrong. Like you did it, if you did it authentically, then you did the right thing. Well, I think that's a good lesson for all of us to be present. I want to talk before our time is up a little bit about your transition into menopause, which gives a little bit, you know, gives your age away a little bit. So she's 51. Um, For people who have been sitting here this whole time wondering how old is she? Um, and we were talking, I said, well, how has your fitness routine changed? Obviously you don't have to be as rigid because you're not training for triathlons, but going from like your forties to your fifties, how have you changed your fitness routine and why? Yes. So I, I was perimenopausal getting in 2017, getting ready for the Ironman world championship. And I, I just assumed it was my training. I thought, oh, well, I'm just, I'm sweaty because of this. I'm sweaty because of that. And I remember going to my OG, OB Jen after that race. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going through it or not, you know? And he's like, well, let's get a couple of blood work. So we got one, one set of blood works. And then, you know, three months later, we got another set of blood works. He's like, yep, you're going through it. You know, my mom went through it very young. So when I realized, um, I remember listening to a keynote speaker at a train at a triathlon training event. And she said, uh, it was Stacy Sims. She said, if you're perimenopausal, stop doing long, slow distance events and start lifting heavy weights. And I thought, huh. And so in between my Ironman, I, so I did four Ironmans. I stopped, drank the Kool-Aid, did CrossFit, did, did a whole bunch of strength training, like did all that, and then did 11 more Ironmans. I loved how I felt in the CrossFit space and the travel and the, in the strength space. And I even strength trained back in college with the college boyfriends. Right. And so 
in my master's, I started recognizing like, oh my God, that's right. Like we're going to, after the age of 30, we're going to start declining our muscle mass three to 6% every decade. And when it comes to 60, after 60, we drop even more so. So I knew in my head that I had to go back to strength training. And so what I'm doing now is I, I, what would you say? What what did we say? I, I joyfully, I, I live the life of joyful yeah. fitness. So I am strength training uh, four times a week. And it's either with a class with uh, in uh, Samara, Costa Rica with my little with my Costa Rican uh, family and my little, my friends that are all, they all speak Spanish and I'm finally learning it. Right. Or I will do it on my patio. I have all the weights. I have dumbbells. I have kettlebells. I have a TRX. So I will do three to four times a week, mostly four times a week. And then I do walks. I would say three to four times a week as well. I don't run, but there are days where I will be sitting on the beach drinking my coffee and I'll be like, huh, I think I'm going to go swim today. So I go out, get my swim cap on. I jump in the water. I'll swim into town, which is about 1500 meters. And then I'll walk back or I'll run back. And then I've just started taking up surfing. Just so just now I didn't know. Yeah. You said you surfed this morning. I figured that that was like a hot, like a lifelong hobby or something. Oh no. Oh no. So we, so we can teach, uh, an old dog new tricks. So yeah, I, I took my, I've taken lessons off and on, but since I moved here, I finally took a lesson on Monday and I've been out there Tuesday and Wednesday taking tomorrow off because I am so sore. You are. (laughs) I am so sore. It's my low, it's my lower back because it's like, you have to, you have to arch the back and then pop up. Right. So, or pop up that way, you know, this is how I pop up. So it's like that pop up, that quick pop up. And then like my shoulder, not my shoulders are my, my lats and my traps are just like, cause you're digging through that. And so, yeah, I'm just, and it's, and I think mentally I'm tired from the surfing, right? Because there's so much to think about. It's like head up, lower back tight, you know, pop up, like do a burpee, like catch the wave, look back. But I have to say, yesterday, for the first time, I caught the wave because I've been watching videos on YouTube too, right? I have a girlfriend. I have a woman. Her name is Maggie. She's in her 70s and she moved down here four years ago and she took off. And so she's been helping me. So we're going to start. She's so cute. And so she works out, but um, at my gym too. But we're going to surf on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It's already like, we already have a date, you know, we're, we're looking at the tides and we're like, this is what we're going to do. But I have to say yesterday I caught away for the first time and it was so freeing and so real that it was me staying in the present. It was me without my phone. It was me going back to the girl that I used to be in the triathlon space. And I just, I want to encourage everyone to find that. And so I know exactly the feeling that you're saying, because um, the same family that I mentioned earlier. So Kate, they're super adventurous. And Kate took me quote unquote mountain biking in Nebraska, yeah. which is like little hills. But for me, it was very scary. 
And um, it was exhilarating. Like it's that feeling yes. of exhilaration where you're totally present in the moment. Otherwise you're going to yes. get seriously hurt. <laughs> um, yeah, it's true. Yeah. And it was so fun. So I feel like if there's any takeaway from today's podcast episode, I hope that you guys all can find your level of joyful fitness. It's going to look different for every single person, every stage in life. I hope that yes. you find your why you find that self-motivation. If you need help, you know, get Jen's book. We're going to link her website in the show notes um, and just have fun with your fitness. It's so much yes. more rewarding and enjoyable. And again, looks different for everyone. Maybe for you, you got to sign up for a race. Like you may, maybe you right. need a external motivation so that you can have that consistency of training schedule. Or maybe for you, it's like, you know what, I'm going to go on a trip to the Grand Canyon, or I'm going to book a trip to Colorado and I'm going to hike a 14 -er, or I'm going to do, um, you know, the Havasupai hike in the grant in the Grand Canyon, you know, find whatever motivates you, I think, and book it, like put your money where your mouth is and either get a new pair of shoes or buy that gym membership or sign up for the race or book the trip, do something. Because I think especially early on, people usually need that. Like they need that little kick in the pants. Yeah. Like, okay, spent the yeah. money on it. So now I have to actually do it. So any other last minute tips for people to kind of become, you know, joyful with their fitness, a little bit more self-motivated to be consistent here. Yeah. I, you know, just hearing you talk, I think the joyful fitness came over time with me because I developed a habit. Mm-hmm. I developed a habit of wanting to feel better after a workout. I wanted to, I developed a habit of stop drinking because I wanted to feel better. I wanted to become the better version of myself. And so joyful fitness will come in time, but you have to develop a habit first to start recognizing like, this is what makes you happy. If you don't like running and you sign up for a marathon, it's not going to help. Yeah. That's, that's not what we're saying to do. No, I feel like you almost, you might have to create something called joyful fitness or that's that probably already exists. Sometimes I get an idea like that. I'm like, Oh, surely surely it, 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 I'm sure it exists. Yeah book or whatever. So Jen, thank you for your time today. Thanks thank for you so much inspiration for all of us to just kind of live our best life, you know, and yep. continually reflect on how we can become a better version of ourselves. So can you let our listeners know where they can learn more about you? You bet. You could go to jenrulon.com. You could go to Instagram coach Jen Rulon, or you could check out my own podcast called the everyday healthy human podcast, where I talk to guests about their metamorphosis and their transition to become the better version of themselves. Perfect. Thank you so much. And this weekend. Thank you. Bye. Ciao. Thanks for listening to the reshape your health podcast today to learn more about Zibli, our online course and coaching program to reverse insulin resistance for long-term weight loss and disease prevention. Check out our website at www.zibli.com. That's Z I V L I.com. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a rating and review on your listening platform and share it with a friend. I'll talk with you at the same time, same place next week. Bye for now.